This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. No spin, no bias, no censorship. I'm Dan Wharton. Tonight, as the despicable terrorist who murdered Sir David Amos is given a whole life sentence, I take a stand you won't hear elsewhere in the media and say this. The threat of Islamic extremism is the most important issue facing Brits today, not a piddling birthday party. My digest asking why the elite are so determined to mischaracterise and move on from this menace that puts all of us at risk is next. And I'll get my superstars verdict, uh, superstar panel's verdict too. Tonight, I'm joined by top Daily Mail columnist Amanda Patel, entrepreneur and activist Adam Brooks and royal and political commentator Daisy McAndrew. Elsewhere in our alternative party gate coverage, I'll ask whether forcing Boris Johnson out of office will be bad for Britain. The PM's biographer Tom Bauer, his former advisor Colvert Ranger and broadcaster and author Nina Mishkov do battle in the clash at 9.20. Plus, one of the Prime Minister's closest confidants turned biggest COVID critics, founder of the Free Speech Union Toby Young, explains why Boris is going nowhere and why his party gate reckoning means we can definitively expel lockdowns to history. He's today's outsider. I cannot wait at 9.45. And did the Met give in to media and political pressure over these fines? I'll analyse with my panel at 10pm. What impact did lockdown have on those battling eating disorders? The mother of TV favourite Nikki Graham believes isolation was the final blow in the tragic star's lifelong struggle. She'll give evidence. We have a private gym. They announced pretty quick it was going to shut. And for Nikki, that it just threw her into a panic. She'll give evidence in my lockdown inquiry at 10.20, one year on from Nikki's passing. Should statue topplers and vandalers like those who got away with the dunking of the Edward Colston statue in Bristol Harbour be unable to justify criminal damage on human rights grounds? Columnist extraordinaire Rod Little is fired up over this and uncancelled at 10.40. Why can't America's liberal media get over COVID hysteria even when lockdown obsessive Dr Fauci has moved on? Well, US superstar journalist Megan Kelly is live from across the pond at 9.30. Plus, was it irresponsible of a judge to praise, insulate Britain protesters as inspiring for their criminal activities? What the hell? Those activities, by the way, included the blockade of an ambulance. And after trying to erase J.K. Rowling from the Harry Potter franchise over her trans views, the Hollywood hypocrites at Warner Brothers have cut this line about Dumbledore's sexuality to appease regressive Chinese censors. It's what we said we'd do. Because I was in love with you. I'll dig into those stories that I have to be honest have got me hopping mad today in the media buzz at 10.30. Plus a big dose of BBC bias coming up too. Plus, of course, I'll bring you tomorrow's newspapers as they arrive throughout the show and crown today's greatest Britain and union jackass at 10.50. So stay up with us. This is Dan Woodson tonight. Let's go. Just one thing first, though, the stench of hypocrisy and collective amnesia sweeping through the media and political class the past 24 hours has been 
as infuriating as it was predictable. I mean, how the hell can Keir Starmer call for Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak to resign after his own work event hypocrisy as he downed bear indoors with Labour cronies during lockdown? And how the hell can the SNP say a single thing, given their multiple rule breakers, including then Transport Minister Humza Yousaf, who was caught driving without car insurance. He was Transport Minister at the time. And how the hell can sly news allow their COVID party gals, Kay Burley and Beth Rigby, to hold anyone to account after breaking lockdown rules while claiming to hold the powerful to account? Continually lying when we've made a mistake, blaming others and not accepting responsibility. We know that people have done that in the past. The Prime Minister set the law. The Prime Minister broke the law. The Prime Minister misled Parliament. Where's his honour? If he receives more fines and he then subsequently quite obviously misled Parliament both on the 1st of December and the 8th of December when he was at the dispatch box, he should go. Where is his honour? Boris Johnson repeatedly told Parliament, the public, his own party that all guidelines had been followed at number 10 during those COVID lockdowns. We now know that simply is not true. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is Claudia Webb level hypocrisy. To be honest, this entire farce should make clear what I've said all along. The lockdown laws were inhumane and impossible to follow by even those who made them. They must be taken off the table forever. But Partygate, it's not the most important story of the day, despite what the MSM tell you. I'll tell you what is in my digest shortly. Then my superstar panel are here. Tonight, the Daily Mail columnist and broadcaster Amanda Platel, the businessman and activist Adam Brooks, and the political and royal commentator Daisy McAndrew. But before all of that, the news with Polly Middlehurst. Dan, thank you. The top story tonight, Lord David Wolfson has quit as Justice Minister over the lockdown breaching parties in Downing Street. In a letter to Boris Johnson, the Conservative peer said it was because of the Prime Minister's conduct as well as the events themselves. Two Conservative MPs, Craig Whitaker and Nigel Mills, are calling for Mr Johnson and the Chancellor to resign. The Prime Minister, his wife and Rishi Sunak were all fined by police for breaching Covid rules when they attended a birthday gathering for Boris Johnson in June 2020. Well, in other news, the whole life sentence handed down to the terrorist who murdered the Conservative MP, Sir David Amos, has been welcomed by the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson says we must never allow acts of evil to triumph over democracy. Passing sentence, the judge in the case said Ali Habi Ali had shown no remorse or shame for killing Sir David last October. Sir David's family described the murder as beyond evil. International news and Russian news agencies are reporting that the country now has full control of Mariupol's seaport in the south of Ukraine. The mayor of Mariupol has accused Russian troops once again of using chemical weapons in the region. Ukraine's armed forces are saying Russian troops are now fully ready for a fresh assault in eastern Donetsk and southern Kherson. 
And the mayor of Kharkiv says bombing has increased significantly in the eastern city since yesterday. Well, in his latest address, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, says the country needs more weapon supplies to repel Russian forces. We have destroyed more Russian weapons and military equipment than some armies in Europe currently possess. But this is not enough. Russia still had the capacity to attack and not only against Ukraine. Poland, Moldova, Romania and the Baltic states will become the next targets if the freedom of Ukraine falls. President Zelensky. In the United States, police have arrested the suspect of a shooting at a New York subway station. 62-year-old Frank James was allegedly seen fleeing the area after smoke bombs were detonated on a tube carriage. Ten people were directly hit by gunfire as well. Five of those are in a critical but stable condition. Thirteen others were injured. NYPD commissioner said James had nine prior arrests in New York and New Jersey. We hope this arrest brings some solace to the victims and the people of the city of New York. We used every resource at our disposal to gather and process significant evidence that directly links Mr. James to the shooting. We were able to shrink his world quickly. There was nowhere left for him to run. The Commissioner of the New York Police Department. On TV, online and on your radio via DAB+, you're with GB News. Now time for Dan Wooten tonight. Do you remember the atmosphere after what we now know was an Islamist terrorist attack? that killed the great MP Sir David Amos last October. A febrile mainstream media and political class wanted to talk about online anonymity. Uh, they wanted to talk about regulating tech giants to stop trolling and politicians uh, using bad language to describe each other. Of course, we know now, as we were almost certain then, that none of that would have made a goddamn difference. Ali Harvey Ali was not an online troll. He was a hardened Islamist extremist of Somali heritage, but radicalised right here in the UK, intent on killing a senior politician. He'd scoped out Michael Gove and Dominic Raab. He'd spent time wandering around Westminster pondering such an attack. But he finally went through with his sick plan by visiting the Methodist church where the hardworking, loyal and kind Sir David was hosting a regular surgery with constituents. At the time of this attack, despite police revealing they were dealing with a suspected Islamist terror attack, the media and our politicians, they simply didn't want to go there. It's too soon, they insisted. Failed London Mayor Sadiq Khan even initially said Amos had passed away as if he had been lost to the world from natural causes. Today, that despicable terrorist, Ali Habi Ali, was jailed for life. And here's how Sir David Amos's family reacted to the verdict in a statement read on their behalf outside court. There is no elation in our family today following this sentencing. Our amazing husband and father has been taken from us in an appalling and violent manner. Nothing will ever compensate for that. We will wake each day and immediately feel our loss. Ali was an aspiring terrorist who gamed the system.
But the political and the media class have moved on now. Why discuss the very real threat of homegrown Islamist extremism when we can run headline after headline about Partygate? Well, I believe it's the most important story for the UK today, and that's why I'm leading this show on it. The Prevent Counterterrorism Programme failed, and it must be overhauled. So shocking analysis by the Daily Telegraph this week showed that the scheme has failed to stop multiple terrorists in the past five years, with six of the 11 most recent significant attacks carried out by individuals who had been referred to it. As Ali, who was referred to prevent in 2014, arrogantly told the court, I just knew to nod my head and say yes, and they would leave me alone afterwards, and they did. There were supposed to be two meetings, but they were happy enough on the first one, so I did not hear from them again. What a disgrace. As Professor Ian Acheson, who led a government review of extremism in prisons, put it, it's absolutely another example of disguised compliance. Prevent is a parish council response to a national security problem. And actually, I'm going to give credit today to former cabinet minister Robert Jenrick, who says the establishment must now acknowledge the murder of his friend was an act of Islamist extremism. He wrote today, we cannot possibly hope to tackle extremism if we keep failing to diagnose it, or worse still, if when we do recognise it, we pretend it is something else and reach for warm words and hashtags. Jenrick is right. Islamic radicals reportedly accounted for the vast majority of suspects on the MI5 terror watch list as of 2020. And according to the latest Home Office stats, Islamic radicals account for almost 70% of those in prison for terrorism-related offences as of 2021. We can't sit around waiting for a review of Prevent any longer. Urgent action is now required to avoid another tragedy like the terrorist killing of Sir David Ames. And we can't be scared to talk about it. So to talk about it now, my superstar panel, the Daily Mail columnist and broadcaster Amanda Platel, the businessman and activist Adam Brooks, and the political and royal commentator Daisy McAndrew. Amanda, one thing that I found so fascinating about this is that the professor who I mentioned in my digest, Professor Atchison, said one of the big issues is that the media and the political class want to focus on a false equivalence between far-right extremism and Islamic terrorism. It's also that they have... Look, first of all, I've only met David a couple of times, but he was just a lovely guy, just true blue, um, local constituent, and, and it is so awful for their family that they've got this life sentence. But the thing that worries me more about the whole PREVENT program is uh, it just, they say that it's run by skilled um, um, anti-terrorist experts, right? So according to Ali's own testimony in court, he was sat down in front of them. He was, he was sent there or he was, um, he was um, a teacher said, we are suspicious about this boy when he was a teenager. He went along to two meetings that time. And so he didn't have to say anything. All he had to say, all he had to do was indicate yes or no. So they go, are you? And... Islamic terrorists planning to murder someone, he goes, 
oh, you're a really nice boy who's terribly misunderstood. Okay, that's great. Off yeah. you go. It's so, it, the whole thing is so leaning over backwards to be kind to people rather than yeah. trying to work out whether or not they're going to end up killing someone. Mm. And, you know, the, but, but I think there's a deeper issue in this that really troubles me is according to um, his mum, Ali's mum, his um, in aunt... In court evidence, right. Yes, in, in, um, that, that the mum actually thought that there was something, um, suspect there wasn't something right with her, their son with her son. She didn't go to the police because she was frightened. And all I can say is that had she gone to the police with these suspicions, she would not now have a son serving life imprisonment mm. and the Amos family would not be without a father and a husband. Yeah, and this was according to the aunt's report. And it's because they bend over the backwards to... So well, I know, because, Adam, the, the issue is these aspiring terrorists, some of them are smart. They're radicalised on YouTube. And what's so depressing is that this teacher, as Amanda points out, did absolutely the right thing. Mm. Picked up on the signs, did exactly what a teacher is meant to do, reported it to authorities, actually managed to get this student into the system, because at one point there was a fear that he was going to defect and go and fight for ISIS in Syria and prevent dropped the ball. Again. The, the, again. Again. The, the, they're scared to offend. They're scared to discriminate. Yes. And this weakness, you know, lets people like this into the community. I, I see earlier a stat. There's 45,000 on the MI5 terrorist list. 90% are Islamic terrorists. Yes. Or suspected Islamic yes. terrorists. And this is where I get concerned, Daisy, because... There is this view increasingly, and by the way, I'm not belittling the threat of far-right terrorism for one moment because we obviously saw the killing of Joe Cox. So it, it can be a serious threat. But if you look at the experts, they say it's a drop in the ocean compared to the threat of Islamist terrorism in this country. But it's very difficult to dissect all these different statistics because if you look at uh, the kids and they 80% of the people who are referred to prevent are under 20 years old. So they, the majority of them are kids and the majority of them are also male. When you look at the stats of, the stats of, of those who are um, referred, one third is Islamic uh, extremism, one third is far right. But then as, as Adam quite rightly said, when you look at those in prison, the vast majority, exactly. or on the MI5 watch list, the vast majority are not but isn't far, that your point, right Adam? Right. They're, they're yes. focusing on what's PC rather than actually where the genuine... Yeah. Like with everything in life, yeah. they're scared to offend or scared to discriminate. And, and it, it's this weakness mm. and this lack of, you know, uh, courage to, to, to actually say it as it is yeah. that is making yeah. such a weak... But society. Amanda, I think our politicians and parts of our media have to take some responsibility here. And by the way, certainly don't include your newspaper. Do I don't include, include the Daily, Daily Telegraph. In it. No, no, and I don't include the Sun because at the time of the AMS killing, those three newspapers actually revealed a lot of details about this story. But I'm talking about the broadcast media. I'm talking about the BBC, ITV, Sky course, News. They, they just, wanted to talk about online anonymity and civility in politics. They didn't they want to talk they about Islamic extremism. You can't say that this this boy is a Muslim. You can't say you can't say anything like that. It's it's all just sort of iced over, and it's disgusting. And your statistic is really interesting. The one that you mentioned, uh, where you said the it's the vast majority of people who've actually killed of uh, Muslim terrorists who've killed people in this country went through the um, the project. You well, know, they went through, they were de 
murderer well, this is, eyes. This is exactly the point. Yeah. Out of the last, the, out, of 11, out of 11 big terror attacks, six of the individuals just, had, yeah. had gone through for prevention. Exactly, but Daisy, which it, means people are picking them up, which is great, and prevent is failing. So, so prevents not, had this review going on for years. For three it's years. just a joke. We just yeah. know we have to toughen up prevent. Stop the review. Yeah. Pump money in. Toughen the damn mm. thing I up. I wouldn't no, want to be one of the guys or women who let Ali go through the Prevent program. But I would of, not be one of the problems with those individuals that they're not properly trained. They're not security no. intelligence people. They're, they're local council people. I mean, look at Fishmongers Hall. That was a complete yeah. mess as well yeah. because MI5 didn't talk to the police, yes. didn't talk to probation. The, yeah. you know, the prison services are And not actually there. one of the big problems with Prevent is that you've got a lot of white, do-goody, middle-class people, and this is, this is a fact, by the way, rather than folk actually from the Muslim communities who are actually on the ground and can pick up what's going on. But and that a, needs to A lot to of people within too. the Muslim community aren't even taking part in the William Shawcross um, review because they think that prevent um, stops any sort of trust between the authorities and the Muslim oh, community. Lord so Lord. you've got problem upon problem. Yeah. And as you said, that Shawcross review has been going on more totally. than three totally. years. And what are we gonna what are we gonna wait for? A terrorist attack that kills fifty people? At that point, are we going to say it's bad enough? I'm sorry, when you've got people being stabbed in a park, when you've got MPs being killed, when you've got cars being blown up outside a maternity hospital, enough is enough. We are literally one of these attacks away from a mass killing of British civilians. You only need one percent of that stop. watch list. And we've got hundreds and hundreds Indeed. of incidents. Indeed. Adam Brooks, Daisy McAndrew, Amanda Patel, my superstar panel, and they are here all evening. But still to come, why can't America's liberal media get over COVID hysteria even when lockdown-obsessed Dr Fauci has moved on? Well, US media superstar Megyn Kelly gives her take soon. But up next in The Clash, amid all the chaos and crises, would forcing Boris out of office be bad for Britain? We've got one of the PM's former advisers, his biographer, and one of his harshest critics after the break, but I want to know what you think. You're the most important critic here. Dan at gbnews.uk. Tweet me using the handle at gbnews. We've got our poll running there too. The results after the break. <music> Megan Kelly and Rod Little coming up. But now, The Clash. And if you've watched the mainstream media over the past 24 hours, you'd think it is an inevitability that Boris Johnson will be ejected as PM and his party gate misdemeanor is so great that we simply cannot countenance his survival. But is that really what the public wants? So tonight I'm posing this question to you. Would forcing Boris out of office be bad for Britain? Send in your thoughts to dan at gbnews.uk, tweet at gbnews, and we've got our poll running there too. But to help you make up your mind and going head to head on this tonight, Johnson's former advisor, Colvert Ranger, the broadcaster and author, Nina Mishkov, and the PM's former biographer, Tom Bauer. It's great to have all of you here. Colvert, let me start with you. You, given you previously worked for the current PM, do you think it would be bad for the UK if he were forced out of office? Yes, I do, Dan, and good evening to your viewers. I think, look, at this moment, the country needs leadership. It needs stable leadership. It needs continuity. We've got an economic crisis of living. We've got a health pandemic that we're still dealing with. And we've got an international war that we really need to support and get our, our unity behind and support the Ukrainians in what's going on. The prime minister is leading on all fronts and doing a good job. So removing him at this point, or even consider that, uh, 
seems to me like, a, as I think has been said, an act of self-harm for the country and for the best, in, not in the best interests of the British people. I mean, Nina Mishkov, we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis. We are in the midst of a war in Europe. We're coming out of the pandemic recovery. Surely a Tory leadership contest at the moment, which would involve many cabinet ministers in really important positions, would be disastrous for the country. No, it wouldn't. It was disastrous when Boris Johnson voted in uh, in 2019. Um, you, you don't see... Why? The, the, because of what's happened since, for heaven's sake. That You know, he's a, he's a prime minister that you, you cannot trust. He's a, he's a known liar. His apology last night was absolutely pitiful. He was reading it from a piece of paper like that. If you are sincere and honest in your apology, you don't need a piece of paper. You, you talk straight to the people. Uh, it's just outrageous. So the fish rots from the head down and he is at the head. And to hide behind Ukraine's skirts, to have a yellow and blue apron of his mum that he's hiding behind, to use Ukraine as a political um, means of saving his own skin is despicable. Just as despicable is the fact that hundreds of thousands of people are mourning people, that, mourning the, you know, people that they've lost during the pandemic following all the rules, couldn't say farewell to them, couldn't um, hold their hands as they were dying, and Boris is partying. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is only one party. He wasn't partying. It's a he one... Wasn't pa partying. He wasn't partying. He was presented uh, with a cake that's, as a... Support. Oh, for heaven's sake. That's, you know, this, this is... It's interesting, I think, how the first party that he's going to be um, penalised for is a kind of soft one. It's his birthday. You think, mm, OK, well, maybe, you know, ambushed with a cake, for heaven's sake. But there will be the cake others... didn't even come out of the damn Tupperware. Well, there were... There, were, there, were, there, there will be others. There will be others. Well, we'll and see. Tom Bauer... Just, just, excuse me, can you just say, can we just put up the picture of the Queen sitting on her own at the funeral of her husband? The we, morning after we all, the party, we all remember. where they came with wheelie, wheelie um, uh, we all remember that. full of, we do. Full of wine. But, but, Tom Bell, I don't think any of us sitting here defend these parties going on at number 10 Downing Street. But perhaps we can look at the bigger picture, Tom. Well, I agree uh, that what he's done is despicable and he behaved very badly. And in normal conditions, he would be forced to resign because he lied. However, we're not in normal times. The Tory party does not have an alternative to Boris Johnson at the moment, and a leadership contest will be a disaster for Britain. And whatever one thinks about it, it is actually true that Britain is in, and Boris in particular, is in a unique position vis-a-vis -vis the war in Ukraine, which has got enormous ramifications for our lives. Germany is divided, France is rotten, the EU led by van der Leyen is a disgrace, she was the worst defence minister in German history, and Biden is, uh, as we know, a bit doolally. So Boris, <laughs> thanks to Ben Wallace, has done an amazing job yeah. of supporting the Ukrainian uh, defence yeah. and prime minister, and they've acknowledged that. Now, I, mean, Nina, I agree in normal times he should go. But Nina, we're not what would in you say times. to Vladimir Zelensky if, Vlad if, if Boris was forced out of office? This is a man fighting a war. He would be absolutely destroyed. He views he would, Boris as his biggest ally and most not. important ally. Putin thinks Boris is his 
biggest ally. Who do you think what? helped to get Boris into in, into power and Brexit done? Oh, Putin, Nadia, you're not going to spread that Putin, conspiracy Putin, theory here. Putin despises Boris. He thinks he's, he's a useful idiot. I mean, the, 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 you know, and because Boris has helped to divide Europe. And if you've seen Boris at NATO, he's like Billy Nomate. So he is creating division. Here's a man who's creating division. Well, that division. was also completely untrue, you, you know. I have to pick you up on that because if you looked at the footage in full, actually, who was the first person that Biden went to speak to, that Macron went to speak to, that Stoltenberg went to speak to? It and, was Boris Johnson. And then, so you've and bought then, into and the mainstream he, media that took that clip out of context. I'll have to play you the whole thing afterwards because I did then, a whole segment on it. Then, just to point back They line. all despise him. But Biden finds him useful. So, so you can't go further than that. Do you think that if Boris Johnson was run over by a bus tomorrow, it would make the slightest bit of difference to the outcome of the war in Ukraine? Well, let's no. put that question to Colvert, who knows Boris very well. I think it would play quite a bit of difference in terms of the unity between all the coalition countries and the discussions happening. As Dan pointed out, uh, and as Thomas quite rightly said, there are huge challenges in the major allies and their positioning on Ukraine. And Boris has been absolutely clear, driving them forward for support of Ukraine, speaking not just to President Zelensky, but clearly to the other world leaders about the positions that need to be taken. And I think his... His style, his approach, his ability to convince people on the big issues, the things that matter, uh, has, is what's coming to the fore in this war. Now, let's be, I, I, again, I'm absolutely clear. I know what he has done was wrong, uh, and nobody will apologise more for him than he himself has done in terms of what's happened. But you need, he is a unique politician through his entire career. I think whatever criticisms people want to throw at him, you don't become a two-term mayor of London, you don't win uh, the late, uh, Conservative Party leadership, and you don't bring a landslide Conservative majority that only was then previously achieved by Margaret Thatcher in 1987. If there is not something about you unique and special as a politician. This man is a unique politician. He won't always be, uh, you know, the flavor of the month for a lot of people because he's different. He's not a mm. gray man in a suit that, uh, you know, presents himself as every other yeah. politician does. Well, he look does at what Ben Houchin says. Look what Ben Houchin says. He says if Boris Johnson goes, the levelling up project is over. Tom Barrow, I wanted to come back to you and ask you about uh, Boris's wife, Carrie Johnson, who has, of course, received one of these fixed penalty notices too. And a lot of folk behind the scenes, Tom, at number 10 report to me real displeasure in Carrie's role in this whole thing. The fact that she was hosting parties at the flat at number 11. Boris himself doesn't even really like to party. It's not something he really enjoys. Do you think any of that criticism is fair? I think it's very fair. And I think recently the photographs of Carrie in Windsor and at the uh, game park were most unacceptable. She shouldn't be appearing in uh, those sort of poses. She should be in absolute purda. But can I say one more thing about Carrie and all this? She, of course, has a lot to blame and for all the parties and the problems in Downing Street. But we've got to put one thing in perspective about this whole crisis, and that is that Tony Blair lied completely about the war, the reasons to go for war in Iraq. And hundreds of thousands of people died because of Tony Blair's lies. And that did not happen with Partygate. 
Partygate was unfortunate. It was terrible. He didn't tell the truth, Boris, but it's not on the same how level as Tony Blair's lies. How ridiculous pride compared to Blair? Yes, Tom, you make your point and then Nina comes. How ridiculous to equate Partygate to the Iraq war. This is absolute nonsense. The, the Partygate goes to the heart of who Boris Johnson is and who we are and who we are as a nation and what standards we are. He has dragged the standards of public life down into the gutter. And there's no and there is no denying that. And you, you called him a, a unique politician. He's unique in that he has not a smidgen of morals, not a smidgen. At least, you know, some people have some. And it's, he is just not good enough. He's not good enough for this country. And, and I, you, you, you Tom, said, let, let Tom you respond. Said, OK. Well, I think, I think that you've always been probably against Boris. And I remember that Tony Blair was also questioned by the police at the end of his 10 years about cash for peerages. And that was the first time the police had ever been inside. Downing but saying Street, Tony Blair is wrong a, a doesn't make minister. Boris right. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. And that was the first time the police had been inside Downing Street to interview a prime minister for a major, major criminal offence, which is not the same as Partygate. So you've got to put it in perspective. He's done wrong. But if you are a conservative and do not want, as an alternative government, uh, Starmer, Davy, and Sturgeon as a sort of coalition, as an alternative to the Conservatives, you're going to have to just hold your nose and hope that Boris doesn't lie again and that he gets us through this amazingly difficult period. And if I can say one it's thing, Dan, which I think is very The Tory party cannot Boris come up with survive. a successor. He's They've had 11 support... years in power, and they have no, no one that they can put forward. It's outrageous. And also, you don't see France suddenly um, saying we're going to call off our general election because there's a war in Ukraine. They are moving forward. That's a democratic process. Absolutely. And they have their and have a democratic Nina, process by here. the way, I just want to show you, by the way, uh, the full footage, if we can run it, from that NATO summit with Boris Johnson, because I think it's really important. Look, you'll see there, Nina, and I'll get you to respond, but he was greeted first, Boris. So what do you mean he had no mates? That, that, is, that is an initial greeting. Of course, everybody's going to get each other, but as the, as the day went on, you could see that he was being just separated from. But they're everybody. all over him. He was no, this is greeting. They're all over him. When you say He's hello, hardly missed no when mate. you say not at that moment, when you greet someone, of course you say hello to them. Of course you greet. But it, as the day went on, all the footage. You, he, he was standing there, looking like this, looking like this, and he, there was nobody Biden walks there. in immediately goes to they speak to Boris. Despise so him. look, I'm just saying. I think the way. I'm not blaming you, Nina. I think it's the way the mainstream media edited that footage. No was no. severely no, misleading. No, they loathe him. And I just want to call out that misinformation because you've seen the footage there. They, when you say, it doesn't matter who you are, when you first greet someone, you have to greet them, you have to say hello. And of course, the day, of course, you've got to discuss things with them. But generally, when people were walking about and, and not actually discussing things, he was on his own. All right, well, I just think to try and say at the moment that Boris is not being incredibly impressive on the world stage... Uh, no, he's not. Is, 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 is damn right wrong. But a fascinating debate. I love having it. The broadcaster and author, Nina Mishkoff. Thank you, too, to Boris Johnson's former advisor, Colvair Ranger, and the PM's biographer, who knows him very, very well, Tom Bowers. So who do you agree with on this? Well, Debbie on Twitter says, Boris didn't arrange a party. He was ushered into the room. He never even opened the cake. The media are always trying to bring Boris down. Just another non-story that they're trying to make something of.
from Paul, yes, it'd be bad because there isn't really an alternative leader who can connect with the public. And from Richie, the trouble with Boris is he goes from being diabolical to inspirational. The guy needs to stop listening to others and go with his gut. And your verdict is now in. Absolutely fascinating stuff. 72% of you agree that forcing Boris out of office would be bad for Britain. Just 28% of you say it would be the right thing to do. Coming up, we're going to stay on this because Toby Young, one of Boris Johnson's oldest confidants, thinks not getting rid of the PM means we will never lock down again. He'll explain his theory, and I think it's a very good one, at 945 but next, as even America's biggest COVID hysteric, Dr. Fauci moves on from the pandemic, what more proof do lockdown fanatics need? Will US media superstar Megyn Kelly joins me stateside straight after the break. Time now for US media superstar Megyn Kelly, host of the brilliant Megyn Kelly Show podcast. And just as it seemed like the US might be learning to live with COVID, the liberal media's doom merchants have revived their hysteria and cancelled events around this year's White House Correspondents' Dinner, all under the bogus guise of keeping people safe. Meanwhile, even America's top COVID hysteric, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is showing some and characteristic common sense, believe it or not, when it comes to living with the virus. Look. Each individual is going to have to make their calculation of the amount of risk that they want to take in going to indoor dinners and going to functions. For me as an individual, for you as an individual, what is my age? What is my status? Do I have people at home who are vulnerable? I'd love to know where that logic was for the past two years, Fauci. Someone who has to be America's reason COVID is Florida Governor, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, though. As long as I sit in the chair in which I sit, no Floridian will be restricted, mandated, or locked down in any possible way. Oh, Megan, I just see DeSantis and think, why on earth could some of our politicians over here not be that straight talking? But does it look like the, 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 the page is being turned if even Dr. Fauci is coming around to some semblance I'm telling of normality? You, what you didn't see is on the opposite side of that camera was a little puppy, Dr. Fauci's new puppy, and they were holding it up saying, the puppy gets it unless you say something reasonable <laughs> about COVID. He was there under distress. He was like, it's time that we learn to live with it, that we figure out how much risk we can all afford. But indoor masking is still the most prudent thing. He said that to the BBC like a week before that interview, Dan. Indoor masking is still the most prudent thing. And we might have to return to lockdowns, lockdowns. And there's no way of knowing whether lockdowns worked or not. I'm not ready to say that lockdowns didn't work. Oh, and by the way, there's it's, it's too soon to say that China covered up COVID-19 or hid any information from investigators. That's, that's yet to be proven. Uh, oh, and Trump is to blame for all the American deaths, even though more people died under Joe Biden's watch and Joe Biden had vaccines and, and uh, therapeutics. So Fauci was dragged to the more reasonable message, kicking and screaming. He told the BBC how he really feels. And the only reason he gave a different message on the Sunday show 
windows here, one of them, is because the Democrats are terrified. You notice he went away. They, they didn't keep putting him on the Sunday shows. We got through uh, on one of them. They want him to go away because the American people can't stand his stupid messaging. We're over COVID. We, we already know what he said, that we have to figure out our own individual of levels of risk tolerance and live accordingly. And so the, the proof that Fauci still believes what he said to the BBC as opposed to what he said on the Sunday shows in America is what's happening domestically and with uh, the CDC and organizations that are still beholden to him, right? Not individual states like Florida that's run by a reasonable chief executive like DeSantis, but you've got states like my own, where I am, Connecticut, where I'll give you an example. Um, my son, my 12 year old had a close contact with somebody who had COVID last Saturday. He can't go to school this week. Oh, he, he doesn't have COVID. Me. He doesn't have a symptom. He's not allowed to go to school. He's missing an entire Still. week of school because he had a close contact and now he has to stay at home. Okay. Um, they're still masking toddlers in New York city, two year olds. The, um, the federal government just extended the mask mandate on all of our airlines and our buses. And so on. like the, the vaccine mandates are still in place in most of the cities that impose them. So you still could be fired or lose your job. They haven't said, okay, it's more reasonable now. You didn't get it. No problem. That's not happening. So his grip on these agencies is still there. And behind the scenes, he is still just as much of a doom master as he always was. And, and a, another point I want to make. So he comes out yeah. quietly just delivering the message under duress, you know, with the puppy. All right, you know, <laughs> I have to learn to live. We're not going to eradicate it, whatever. Uh, my name is Dr. Anthony Fauci. And it's the same cowardly message of reason, you know, that the left doesn't really believe in that we've seen now in a couple of big stories. Um, you and I have talked about the quiet refunding of police, right? Yeah. A colossal blunder that cost untold numbers of of deaths in America, not just of the cops. We have had record killings of cops in the past year, but mostly of inner city black and brown Americans who groups like BLM purported to be representing. Uh, but when you take away the police, the, the death numbers, the murder rates uh, go up in these communities. So that's one. So they've quietly refunded without any acknowledgement of how wrong their position was. And then the Hunter Biden laptop story here, where the president of the sun left his laptop with a, with a legally blind computer repairman true story and never went to return, uh, never went to retrieve it. And the laptop is real and it's got all sorts of damaging information on there about how connected Hunter is to the Chinese and to the Ukrainians and um, to the Russians and all these payments he took while his dad was vice president and running for president and, you know, looks corrupt and looks potentially problematic even for Joe Biden. And the media said disinformation, banned, Twitter shut down the New York Post report uh, that broke the news right before the election. And now, a year plus later, they're all going with the reporting. The New York Times, the Washington Post. Yes. Now suddenly he's in office. The laptop's real. We can report on it. It's quiet. And the reason they're doing that is because it looks like Hunter Biden's about to be indicted and they don't want to look dumb for never having covered it and having told the whole world it's disinformation. Yeah. Indeed, Megan, although I read a fascinating piece of analysis actually on Hunter Biden and the laptop by Freddie Gray of uh, The Spectator this week. And, and his theory uh, was that the reason why some Democrats are leaning into this story now is that they actually want the Hunter Biden laptop story to become a massive scandal all of these years on because it gives a good reason 
to remove Biden as the nominee for the next election. Because, of course, the plan originally wasn't as that he'd be a placeholder and he'd do one term. And the superstar of the Democratic Party, Kamala Harris, would step up to the plate. Well, we all know <laughs> she's been an even bigger disaster than Biden. And so actually his theory, and I don't know what you think about it, is that the Democrats are starting to lean in to this Hunter Biden scandal after, as you say, ignoring it before the election. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's possible, but my feeling is, you know, the, the New York Times put it on the A20. They didn't put it on A1, and they put no. it 23 paragraphs into the story that the laptop is real so and it's not covering their behinds. They think something's coming. I think it's, they're actually, if anything, running cover for the Joe Biden White House, that the Joe Biden White House connected to the AG's office knows the kid's going to get indicted. It looks like he's going to get indicted for some sort of tax evasion. He already had to pay, uh, I think it was a million dollars in back taxes. And that's what you do to prevent prosecution. It doesn't usually work. So he's likely to be indicted. And I think that they just styled it in the way that was most favorable to the White House because these publications were you know, bending over backwards to say, no connection to Joe. Joe's clean. It's not about Joe. It's just about the loser kid. And that to me looked like them running cover for the, the Joe Biden White House, not trying to kick Joe Biden in the teeth. Well, shame on the US media, shame on Twitter, shame on the social media giants, because they covered up a genuine story. And I love the fact that you're calling them out for it. Megyn Kelly, star US journalist, host of the brilliant Megyn Kelly show, which you can find on Sirius XM, YouTube, and as a podcast. Megan, we'll speak next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Good. But coming up, did the Met give in to media and political pressure over Partygate? My superstar panel will return to debate that soon. Plus, of course, you'll get a first look at tomorrow's newspaper front pages too. But next, could Boris defying the baying lefty mob by staying in number 10 actually be the best possible way to avoid future COVID tyranny? Well, here to explain why he thinks so, one of the Prime Minister's oldest confidence top cadence, Toby Young, is straight after the break. Dan Wooten here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooten tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.